The time is now. What is the secret to success? Movement. People look at you strange saying you change, like you work that hard to stay the same. Like you're doing all this for a reason. Hard work. Yeah. Works. Welcome to the latest Trainers Talk with Donovan. Um, I'm happy to be here with you today and kind of talk through some things before we get into a, a great interview I had with um, one of my longtime clients, uh, Dwayne Hoff. Uh, what's kind of interesting is that over the past, over this past like year or so, you know, we've we've seen you know with the rise of Peloton over the last couple of years and and um, different entities were home gym workouts. I, it's, it's, it's interesting how often I get different articles and, and things from, from clients of mine checking in on trends they see because they know I'm into, into that and I stay kind of astute to some of the uh, different things that are coming, coming down the pipeline. And one of the things that is um, evident is that with the restrictions that COVID's had, obviously restaurants and I, you know, and different service uh, industries are really taking a, a kind of a beating over the last year in terms of trying to stay open and and bouncing back and forth between different protocols and regulations. And you know, it's definitely been a struggle for a lot of those businesses and. And the fitness industry, uh, especially gyms uh, and warehouse gyms in particular, are really susceptible to, um, you know, a really crushing of their, their business model. This is, you know, definitely, um, I was reading a Wall Street Journal article talking about home, um, home gyms and the fitness industry and talking about that it's projected that about one in three, one in four gyms that were here prior to COVID won't be here um, by the end of, of this year. And that, you know, some of that's not surprising um, uh, because just obvious math of, you know, if people can't really use your service the way they want to use it, um, you're going to lose people. And if companies and services finds ways, can, more convenient ways for you to do it, um, then they're going to get steered that way. And I think that's one of the reasons why we've kind of, you know, we saw that coming two years ago and we develop our app, which is doing well, and, and uh, uh, our Calcica Fit app, which has, you know, different classes and, and options that you can access, obviously, from your phone or iPad. And and that connection that we have with our clients through the app and also um, that we have directly live, we've been able to work with, um, because we're working at a resort, we have space to be able to do our classes outside. And, and you know, it's been a blessing to be able to keep things going in the personal training that we do. Um, and we've been doing the personal training digitally through Zoom and FaceTime and also, um, in certain situations in, in person, you know, with the right protocols and safety. So um, I think one thing that people miss is that I've kind of spoke on this before, but, you know, I kind of see the, the fitness industry going in a very similar direction that music did uh, right around 2000. And right around 2000, as as for those who are old enough to know this is that in 2000 when music started to go to Napster and more digital type of offerings it really kind of shook certain music labels and artists and um, their ability to get paid for their art um, in a way that they weren't able to they were getting paid much more for selling albums and CDs and and cassettes um, you know five years earlier than that and 
what has happened, you've seen this renaissance of music uh, because over the last four to five years, they've kind of figured out a way to monetize their music through services like Spotify and Apple Music and Tidal and YouTube Music and you name it, you name it. Um, and and because the technology has caught up to the artist side of finding ways to monetize it, that artists that can see that and labels that can see that um, have been able to drive two lanes at the same time. They've been able to use the social media, the digital um, streaming to their benefit and at the same time create another lane of live performances. Well, obviously live performances have kind of got reduced, but you know, then you look at things like versus TV and which has done a, a cool job and different artists using different um, paywalls to be able to see live and special content. Some artists are getting smarter with that. You see that in, uh, in comedy also. So within all that, you, you do have to pivot. You do have to rethink what your model is. There's definitely a couple things that I was thinking of doing a year and a half ago, and luckily we, we never got to the point that we were gonna do it, that I'm glad we're, we're not doing and we're not in that direction and we didn't get too far down the road of investment um, that we couldn't get out of it. So, and, and luckily the thought of what we're doing now is really pushing in a direction that has those two lanes where we have, we continue to have some of our live content that you get with people and, and people are going to miss that. There's even with the different Peloton and the, the, the mirror and different things, there's going to be some people who they prefer that that's the way they, they operate. It works within what they need. But I think, um, you know, what, what's very evident is there is still that social aspect when the sun's out, it's nice. You want to be outside. You want to be around your friends. You you want to kind of have those moments of energy between um, people that you care about or people you don't even know kind of all there for a common experience. And fitness, um, along with music, is one of those ways to do that. And I think the, the entities of fitness that can still create um, those those opportunities. I think the thing that would be interesting is that if Peloton and um, places like The Mirror that have a decent following, I wouldn't be surprised as once things kind of unveil that they'll have more live experiences um, and taking their Peloton style things on the road because, um, and when you do, when you see that, they're just really copying the music industry um, when it comes to that. And, and so, and we're doing it from a different perspective. We're kind of live first still, but about 30, 40% of our, 30% um, of our business is digital and it's growing and it's going to continue to grow. And the things that we plan on doing is going to get more to a 50, 50, uh, perspective, um, over the next probably two years. So, um, within all that, what was interesting when I sat down with Dwayne, he kind of told he I've talked to him about these different things and it's it's interesting for somebody like himself where him and Susan who I've interviewed in the past also I've trained with them I've been training them for over 13 years and um, they started their corporate kind of big thing they started with which was Best, Best Buy there um, uh, Susan's father was uh, the founder of Best Buy and so they worked when Best Buy was a startup in that company and worked it to what we know as Best Buy today. And they worked there for over 20 years or at least 15. Um, and, and so they've been through seeing the transition from CDs to Netflix and, and, and where it's going. They've, they're not involved in Best Buy day to day in the last, you know, 10, 10 to 12 years, but they are now involved in different uh, charitable things. And um, they're also involved in 
uh, different investments when it comes to healthcare and longevity. And so uh, along with owning their winery, Fantesca, it was just an interesting conversation to have with him just to, to see how he's transitioned through these different points in his life and why he's interested in the longevity portion is also very interesting towards the end of the interview. So check this out. I have Dwayne Hoff, owner of Fantesca Winery in, in St. Helena on Spring Mountain. And uh, yeah, it was, it was good. We talked about family, business, and longevity. Enjoy. Yeah. Hello, boys and girls. I want to welcome you to the latest Trainers Talk. I have a very special guest, Mr. Dwayne Hoff. Uh, Dwayne uh, was a former executive at Best Buy. He is the owner of Fantesca Winery uh, here in Spring Mountain in St. Helena in California. He's also on the XPRIZE Innovation Board, which is pretty cool, and we'll talk about that. And he also has a lovely family that I get to train multiple days a week. <laughs> so, uh, Dwayne, thank you for joining. Hey, thank you for having me. Yeah, this is uh, very cool to kind of... we've. Uh, I think we've been training for almost how, how many years now? We've been training for like seventeen years. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, two thousand seven. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So, so it's not quite so, yeah. About like almost fourteen. Fourteen almost, years. Fourteen yeah. years, and uh, it's uh, it's been pretty interesting because when you when we first started training, um, you moved from. Minnesota, somewhat similar time when I moved out from Atlanta. Yeah. And uh, prior to that, you were kind of more into, uh, you did more powerlifting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Susan and I, um, Susan's really, her fitness journey didn't start until uh, we were getting ready to kind of make the move out here. Yeah. And so um, I used to lift in a a, a gym, kind of an industrial gym in Minnesota that was uh, hockey players in the off season, yeah. guys trying to get into the NFL, and then, you know, just muscle heads, guys that were just power lifters. Yeah. And uh, when we moved out here, I, I'll never forget one of the things that happened was <laughs> we moved out here and we're looking for a gym out here. And um, uh, there, there, was a, there was a gym that was really dirty back then yeah. kind of in the area and Susan was like no nah, that's not going to work for me so the other option was Solage which was really a spa yeah. and so I'm like going whoa this is going to be so different and uh, you the we started training together and one of the first things you had me do was I'm like okay well how mu- I'm telling you how much I can bench and how much I can squat and you're like can you stand on one leg and bend over and pick up a water bottle and I tried to do it and fell over <laughs> <laughs> And a, so it's like, oh, you, I mean, you called it. It's like you have strength, but you don't have functional strength. You don't a, have good core balance and those it, things. Yeah, yeah. So it was, it was, it was interesting, uh, and it's so much that I've learned uh, from from training training you because of the, the power and the strength that you do have. We've been able to to use it for sure. But let's let's take a step back and go kind of in the beginning. What? How did you grow up? Where did you grow up? Tell me a little bit about that story. Yeah, so I, I am one of the luckiest people on the planet. I, I grew up in a, uh, an idyllic uh, family in northern Minnesota in a little agriculture community called Crookston, Minnesota. Yeah. And my dad was the most interesting combination. My dad grew up on a farm and he wanted me to have those values. Yeah. So we had 100 head of sheep. Yeah. Uh, and uh, my dad's daytime job was he was a college professor at the university there in Crookston. Yeah. And it was more of an ag school. It catered towards kids that were going to have a career in agriculture. And uh, and then on weekends, my dad flew jets for the National Guard. Oh, and wow. so if you remember, you know, Top Gun, there's 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 Goose and Maverick. Yeah. My, my dad was Goose. Oh, cool. And he flew supersonic jets with live nuclear warheads under the wings because Fargo to Moscow is a lot closer than than any place else in the United States, and so uh, so my dad was this incredible combination of farmer, teacher, fighter pilot. Yeah. So when you uh, you know after college, uh, well, during college you met uh, uh, the love of your life, and uh, tell me how how that how that went down. How were you able <laughs> to? Uh, I, I think what and what I'm kind of I'll, I'll kind of lead you a little bit is um, you know. 
Susan, who we've uh, I've interviewed before, and 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 we started training all at the same time. Uh, she grew up in Minneapolis kind of area, right? Is that yeah? And so you were the country boy, and you guys uh, tell me how you met, and tell me that story of how you guys you know finally came together and, and got married. So at University of Minnesota, they had the the nation's largest student-run fundraiser was something called Campus Carney. Uh-huh. And it was a big, everybody bought tickets to attend it, which is where the, the, the money came from, the, the donations came from. But what it was once you got inside the field house was every fraternity and every, there was a fraternity and sorority paired together. They had a band and a dance line. And then it was, it was competitive. Yeah. And so uh, the, and we would practice with the dance line and the band every night for basically a month before this event. And so she was in my fraternity house right in front of me dancing yeah and i was the lead singer and so uh, uh i could just wear her down yeah. just wear her down <laughs> and and we were she was a safe flirt because ironically she had she had had been long distance dating my best friend's brother yeah and so uh you know she, we were a safe flirt because there was there's a code yeah, yeah and then um as the as we were doing the uh as we were doing the show and the competition and stuff, you know, we were we were uh, uh, we were drinking kind of between sets and everything, and all of a sudden the inhibitions come down, and it's like, I think I'm going to kiss this girl, I, and you <laughs> kind of lose that like uh, yeah, inhibition, it, and it's like, I still feel bad for my my, my best friend's brother because he really missed out. <laughs> he did. He did. <laughs> he, he did. Yeah, uh, that's that's funny, and then. I think uh, what was interesting is the the story. I mean, there's so many stories. So over 13 years, yeah, there's we, a lot, yeah, yeah. we have a lot of stories. You got a you got a minute or two of rest between sets. You exactly. hear you hear pretty much everything that's going on. But um, I think one of the stories I do do like is that first time Susan got is the city girl who got the idea. Oh, oh, you grew up in the you're a farm boy. <laughs> And like, what was that like when her coming up and, and, and meeting your family and kind of seeing like, oh, this is like... You're inviting somebody from a different world into your world. And and, bo- and the crossover for both of us was, was pretty interesting. And um, um, the, the first time she came up, <laughs> the first time she came up to visit my family, um, my dad was a teacher, right? So in the summertime, we would, we, would, uh, we would bale hay, we would take care of the livestock, but my dad also had a grain bin business. So we would erect grain bins. We'd yeah. pour concrete and hang steel yeah. for grain bins. And so my dad, Susan was coming up to see me and somebody had to drive to Watertown, South Dakota, pick up three or four grain bins and drive them back to Northern Minnesota. Like a, it's like 700 miles round trip. Oh. And my dad sent me with just enough time to get to, to South Dakota, turn around and come back and meet Susan when she came up. Yeah. And uh, we ran into rain, so we had to drive 30 miles an hour instead of 60 miles an hour. Yeah. And so uh, she spent the first three hours uh, of meeting my family alone at the kitchen table with my parents. And uh, I, I'm, I'm shocked I was able to actually keep her as a girlfriend after that. <laughs> but no, I mean, I think, I mean, I, I think that shows like you guys really had an honest uh, understanding of where you guys came from. Um, and then later, I mean, I'm kind of skipping ahead, but, you know, you know, tell me a little bit about your Best Buy experience working there, um, working your way up, becoming an executive there. Tell me about that kind of experience there. So, um, you know, a big part of the story is that Susan's family founded Best Buy. Yeah. And so, uh, and for 20 years, Best Buy was four stores. It was yeah. called Sound of Music. They sold stereos, guitars, and sheet music. Yeah. And uh, I met Susan in um, I met Susan in 1980. Uh, I met Susan in 1985, and so they had just converted from Sound of Music to Best Buy. They still only had four locations, mm-hmm. and uh, three of the locations were small, and one location had was was a, a more substantial store. And um, they had four stores when we got when we met. Uh, we dated for three years before we got married, and in those three years, the four stores grew to twelve stores. Wow. When we got married, every store manager, all twelve of them, were at our wedding. Oh wow! Yeah. And uh, and uh, and so Susan had started to work for Best Buy right out of college. I went and worked for a real company in downtown St. Paul. I worked for an insurance company, 
and uh, did marketing for an insurance company, wore a suit and tie to work every day while she went to this crazy stereo place. And it's a hundred year old insurance company. So, yeah. uh, you know, you want to take an hour and a half for lunch and go work out? Fine, go go take an hour and a half for lunch. Yeah. Uh, it's Friday at two o'clock. We can't have a meeting. Everybody's got to go home, yeah. you know? And so that was kind of the environment of the hundred year old insurance company, yeah. whereas she was at a startup. Yeah. And so she loved it and she was, you know, constantly, you know, on the move trying to, you know, figure things out. Well, in the, in the preceding three years after we got married, the 12 stores had grown to 50 stores. Yeah. And you could see that there was a, you could, you could see there was a path. Yeah. And actually an interesting story, um, heavy snow day, it was really snowing. And one of our neighbors was, was one of the vice presidents of the company. Yeah. And he called and volunteered and said, Hey, there's no sense in both of us driving. I'll, I'll take Susan, uh, Susan, I'll drive in and yeah. drive us both into work. Yeah. So when they drove back home, we invited him in for a cup of coffee, and he was. His name was George Fouts. George was the vice president for half the company, oh, yeah. which meant he had twenty-five stars yeah. under his under his direction, which is an incredible yeah. responsibility if you think about twenty-five stars. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. It's a massive amount of responsibility. Yeah, and he just was. We we're having a polite conversation, and I didn't realize he was quizzing me because he's just asking questions. Yeah. He's like, "How do you like work? What, what do you like about it? What do you What do you wish you could do differently?" And I'm like, "Well, it's really hidebound. I wish they would be a little quicker. I wish they were more aggressive at figuring out new products for the customer." Yeah. And uh, he just shook his head. And I I, I said, "What?" And he goes, "He goes, he goes, you're an idiot." <laughs> and, I was like, okay. <laughs> and he said, he said, listen, I don't know if Best Buy is going to make it or not, but you'll learn more at Best Buy in the next three years than you will in the next 10 where you are. Yeah. And so uh, I said, well, I don't want to work for my father-in-law. Yeah. And he said, well, then come work for me and I'll be a buffer between you and your father-in-law. Yeah. And so that's what, well, and so what that really means though is that you have to start as an assistant manager in one of the stores. Yeah. And then you work from being an assistant manager to being a manager, yep. from being a manager to being uh, a general manager, from being a general manager to being a district manager, to a regional manager, to, to being a vice president. Yeah. And so I was way, 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 way down the food chain yeah. and um, took a 50% pay cut yeah. to leave the insurance company and come to work for Best Buy. Yeah. Um, but, and what I didn't realize, and I think other people around me realized was that ultimately my career would probably not because I had a marketing background mm. so so my career probably wasn't going to be in retail execution it was probably going to be in marketing at corporate but yeah. what they what they all wisely realized was that the experience of being in the store taking solving problems for customers as a manager solving problems for customers on the floor totally invaluable experience oh totally invaluable experience so that really guided the rest of my career at Best Buy. Yeah. And like you have a you have one of the things you have to do when when you have a category as a merchant is you have an assortment, right? Which of these things am I going to commit to putting on the shelf? Totally. And how many of them am I going to sell? So the, the the temptation is let's get a conference room and we'll do it in the conference room. Yeah. It's like no, I took the whole team, drug them down to a store, uh, you know, and and we stood in front of the display yeah. with the products we were gonna buy not what was already for sale but what we were gonna buy yeah this is what it will look like for the customer yeah how is that customer gonna convince themselves to spend a hundred dollars more on this TV than this TV yeah and you you needed to see it like a customer would see it and um, I was very blessed I had a, you know I had a mer I had a um, I had a I had a situation where I was the new guy that came in as, a, as an assistant buyer or yeah. so I got promoted um, I got promoted into um, being an assistant manager in the store and uh, an assistant buyer position opened up in the corporate office. Yeah. And so um, because of my marketing background, I jumped on that and tried to get that assistant buyer position. And I was fortunate enough to get hired to do that. And what was interesting was I, I was new. And so they, they were hiring a new um, merchandise manager over all of audio. Mm. So, so, so the challenge, so I came in under audio but I was the new guy. And so the new guy working for the new guy is, that's gonna be a disaster, right? Yeah. So they flipped me with a guy who had 10 years experience working for the company. And so now I'm the new guy working for somebody experienced, right? Gotcha. So my boss got screwed. My boss got screwed. <laughs> yeah. My boss is like, I get the new guy yeah. and he's the son-in-law of the founder. <laughs> like, thanks a ton. Yeah. And so his name was Tom Mills and Tom, um, 
Tom was too busy to even spend any time with me for the first month I was there. The second month I was there, he threw, he comes up to me and he goes, get book yourself onto this flight. We're going to Dallas on this day. We're going to go visit some stores and then we'll come back like four days later. Yeah. I had no idea. We, we get out there and we're walking through competitor stores and he's, and he's asking me questions about the second day. I realized I was getting an interview. Yeah. And so what Tom was trying to decide before he spent time with me to help me develop was, am I serious? Am I trainable? Yeah. Will, will I, you know, take the training or am I just a son-in-law there? For, totally. You know? And so he decided that I w and was trainable. And what was really special about that was that the company was growing so fast, the faster I got skills, the more likely he would be to lose me to a different department. Yeah. And he didn't care. He just needed, he wanted, he, he somebody had done this for him and he wanted to do it for me. That's and cool. the things he taught me just about putting together an assortment, pricing, uh, simple things like, if you've got, let's say you've got three. I'm sorry, but like you yeah. just, if you've got three videotape, I, I got I got it the accessory category. He, that was one of the ones that gave me. Yeah. So I get the accessory category. We had four video head tape cleaners that were all seven ninety nine because they kept running out of one or the other, and so they 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 ran out of one and then they would just plug another one in. So we had four items that were all the same price point. Yeah. You get no extra revenue out of that. Exactly. So. You know, I got rid of, he taught me this. I got rid of two of them, went, went super deep on one and moved the other one, bought something that was a $10 price point instead of an $8 price point. Your yeah. revenue goes up, your your turn speeds up. All these good things happen because you, you just have the common sense to do that. But he taught me how to do that. Yeah. And it, it sustained me. Every time I would get promoted to a new category, I could do those little tricks yeah. and get, like a 10% improvement in performance, which gave me time to look around and actually learn the new category. Yeah. So you look smart, even though you just <laughs> stop doing stupid shit. Well, that's interesting because it's like, it's like finding something in the um, 80% that kind of, or something that's like a, a small change that makes a big difference. It's like trying to find the little things. Um, I'm gonna pivot to, so when you were at, at Best Buy and you were talking about you were able to work out an hour and a half, like when did you kind of start to get into you know, now you're an adult, now you're married. Um, and when did like, I'm going to start to work out regularly. This is going to be my thing. Give myself, you know, from the, all the, the obvious reasons, but also the mental time for yourself. Yeah. I, so the, the insurance company was a strange thing because it was in downtown St. Paul. It was across the street from a, a gorgeous, gorgeous YMCA. And, um, and, about half the people in my department went over there every lunch hour and worked out. Yeah. And so that was completely acceptable. It wasn't damaging to your career. It was just, you know, so I would go over there and play racquetball for fun and, yeah. you know, goof around with weights really. I mean, not, I'm not serious about it. Um, and then I got on the Best Buy bullet train yeah, yeah. And, and all that went away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, uh, young, young couple, two young children, a startup trying not to get killed by bigger competitors. Yeah. Uh, so that all went away. And so uh, probably when I come out about, I was probably about 35 when I kind of came up for air on that. And, yeah. and the kids were old enough that, you know, if they were, you know, you, you got to get your kids to the place where you can leave them alone in a room and not be worried they're going to stick their tongue in a <laughs> light socket. Exactly. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so the kids had gotten to that stage and I had, um, you know, growing up on a farm, I'd always been farm strong. Yeah. And so now I'm 35 and I'm starting to become more refrigerator shaped instead of V shaped. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so, uh, you know, it was one of those things where it's like, okay, this doesn't, this doesn't match my self image of who I am. Yeah. And what I realized was if I wanted to work out, I was going to have to get up at, you know, five thirty in the morning to get to the gym, to work out, clean up, and get to the office. Yeah. Uh, but no one was going to stop me from getting up at 5.30 as long as my wife was willing to get the kids ready by herself. Yeah. And what I really had to trade for that was that hour from, you know, about 10 o'clock to 11 o'clock where I was just, you know, watching network television or cable TV. Yeah. And so uh, it's like that's a pretty easy trade. Yeah. And so my wife was good enough to, to allow me to do that. And so then I started to, 
to, to work out and lift. And I, I just wanted to get stronger and I wanted to lose weight. Yeah. And so uh, for me, that meant, uh, that meant uh, a combination of running and lifting. Yeah. And so, you know, that's kind of what I started to get into. And so I started running and lifting and the lifting for me was the thing because my body responded to that. Yeah. I, you know, I, I, I was already fairly strong and then I got stronger pretty quick. Yeah. And I'm compact. So like just like running backs are great at, you know, squats and totally, at, you know, so I had a build that was good for. I could squat a ton. Yes. <laughs> well, I mean, like we, we don't even the funny thing is. Uh, I mean, like, give give an example of like what's a what's a ton because this is 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 uh what like four about whoa. yeah so so I probably at my at, at the heaviest I probably was squatting like four fifty four seventy five yeah. as a working set you yeah. know for six reps you know eight reps and that is a lot of effing weight <laughs> 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 that's, I mean, that's a lot of effing weight and so um, you know it's it's what was interesting is that you know you as we kind of go through your training and you move out here and we kind of come back to the story of of you know you ha you could do that but the balance to be able to pick off stand on one leg and pick up a water bottle was foreign to you and um i think one of the things that has been interesting is that uh you're totally an athlete where you can you can squat 475, but one of the things we end up doing and training for was Alcatraz, and how somebody who could squat 475. Now it wasn't all in the same time period, but um, but it, it, it's it's amazing to think uh, that that's those are the two same people who are doing doing those things. Yeah, the, the, so Alcatraz is a medium distance triathlon. It's actually, I guess, closest to an Olympic distance triathlon. Yeah. So it's a two and a half mile swim in the open ocean. Yeah. Or actually with a current. Yes. Which assists you a little bit. Yeah. It actually assists you a little bit. So it shortens, it's not, it doesn't feel like two and a half miles. Yeah. Uh, but you gotta time the current really well. Then it's, um, then it's 16 miles on the bike through the hills of San Francisco, which is a bear. <laughs> yeah. And then the run is like a, it's like a six or an eight mile run, but a good portion of it's on the beach through sand yeah. where you're just bogging down and <laughs> yeah. then again, and then hills again. Yeah. And so it, it, it's not meant to be, it's not the marathon. It, I couldn't do an Ironman. Yeah. I'm, I'm just not, this is not the chassis to take out <laughs> yeah, no. and, 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 and run a marathon after being a hundred miles on a bike. Yeah. Uh, but, but the, the, the Alcatraz is like very challenging, but shorter. And that was more. I felt like I could accomplish that if I if I focused on it. Yeah. And so it was kind of an interesting thing because to your point, I you know, I wanted to have a challenge. And so um that's the one I picked and then when I picked it, you were you were so instrumental in helping me prepare for it because uh I dropped about I dropped about 20 pounds. Yeah. And uh that was a combination of muscle and fat. It wasn't just like yeah. I I didn't get shredded ripped. Yeah. You know, six pack abs. I lost 20 pounds of everything yeah. in order to be able to go up and down a hill on a bike. Exactly. Because when you're, when you're doing something like that, you don't need to be able to squat 300, 400 pounds. You need to be able to do your body weight over and over and over again. Yeah. 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 And um, when you, um, I, I, I think one of the, the stories I, I loved was, you know, we had to, there's the swimming, there's the running, there's the biking. And that's all very straightforward, and um, there's obviously some technical technical pieces to it. But one of the things that is the biggest adjustments for doing Alcatraz is the temperature of the water. <laughs> and I, I didn't follow your advice. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things I, I, I suggested was for you to swim in the winter, swim in your swimming pool without the heaters on. Yeah. And what did you think about that? <laughs> that was a humbling day. That was a very humbling day. So um, I had trained, I'd been training at Solage's pool, yep. which they kept 80 degrees all winter long. Yeah. And so, you know, it's cold and you get in, oh geez. And then it's 80 degrees you just, and it's Olympic distance pool. You just cr cruise. And uh, I got into our pool, which is, you know, considerably shorter. Uh, and, and I actually set the temperature to heat it up 
to yeah. 55 degrees. Yeah. I'm like, there's no sense in this being colder than the ocean. Yeah. So I heated it up to 55 degrees. And uh, the first time I went in to, to do this, you were here training Susan. Yeah. And I went into the pool. And uh, after about five minutes, I had such an ice cream headache, I couldn't stay in the water. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I need a neoprene skull cap yep. to protect my head. And this is brutal. And and so, um, you know, there's a a school of thought on this. There's two schools of thought on this. I I did some research on it. And and this one school of thought is take cold showers, do the cold thing. And then the other is that it's going to be miserable either way. Just don't just let it be miserable when you've got adrenaline going and you're, you know, you're swimming in Alcatraz. And, uh, so, so I did the latter. I, 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 what I, what I did was, um, I wanted to be prepared. Yeah. So, so I did a couple of sessions in the pool here with the skull cap and the wetsuit. So I, so I could Can knew I what I was getting into. Yep. And then, uh, I drove down to San Francisco twice and I did the distance in a, in the sheltered cove that they've got. They've actually got, um, I can't remember if it's called the Dolphin Club or the Olympic Club, but there's one that's right on the beach. I think yeah. it's the Dolphin Club and they've got buoy set up for for like a half mile yeah so you could just you could just you knew you, i could swim two and a half miles and then get out of the water and so i did that twice so i had a confidence that i could do the distance in that temperature water exactly and then uh and then i didn't um and then you know that was kind of my my training the interesting thing is that when you're when you get in the ocean in that they they, they take these huge steamboats and they take all the furniture out of the steamboats and they load two thousand people in the boat and then they let the pros go first, and then they, you know, you tell them how fast or slow you are, yep. and they kind of try and time that so they don't have people crawling all over each other. Yeah. And then you just, you just like it's like stormtroopers on D-Day. You just jump off the boat into the water. Yeah. And what's crazy is that Alcatraz Island is there, and it's the the cliff, and then the and then the the prison. Yeah. And so it's you're staring up at the forty foot walls of Alcatraz, wow. going, holy. Hannah and the adrenaline's pumping so much that the water doesn't feel cold. Yeah. But what's interesting is the people that didn't prepare. Yeah. Panic. Yeah. And so what, what's wild is that you're you're in the water with literally, um, well, literally with two thousand people. But you know, immediately around you, there's two hundred people. Yeah. And out of those two hundred people, four of them are panicking. Yeah. Four of them are just like, get me out of here. Wow. And so to kind of witness that, it, 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 there's so many emotions. It's overwhelming and. Uh, the water doesn't feel cold because you're just jacked. Yeah. And then and then you start going, and then all of a sudden, <laughs> all of a sudden people start to spread out, and you're like, "Why is that guy going there? I think it needs to be here. What does he know that I don't know? Yeah. Am I fast enough to go with him? Or because if you're if you're fast, this line will work. Yeah. If you're slow, this line line means you're going to end up over here. So you better you better do this. Yeah. And so just picking that line with no experience is just. And I missed it. I yeah. went way, a couple hundred yards. I had a, I had an extra quarter mile run at the end of you know, <laughs> yeah, to, to get out of the surf. Yeah, that's cool. Um, when, so uh, kind of coming back from Best Buy and and that's the headquarters is in Minneapolis, right? And but we're sitting in California. Yeah. So um, Susan, Susan and I are really blessed that both sets of grandparents loved taking the kids. Yep. So it was really easy to get them to say yes to taking the kids to give us a weekend off as a couple. And so, um, and we didn't get a lot of that kind of time, as you can imagine. Yes. You know, you, I mean, you're, you have four kids and you're running your own business. So you're, you're in the throes of it. Yes. Yeah, totally. So our, our way of kind of staying connected was to, um, I, if I had a meeting in San Francisco, what we would do is I would schedule my meeting so it either started on Monday or ended on a Friday, have Susan fly in to meet me, and then we'd come up to Napa and spend a couple of days in Napa and then fly home. Yeah. And so we could get we could get three days together and basically only burn one day of vacation yeah. to, to do that. And so that got to be something that we did fairly often. And it was kind of interesting because... Um, this is about this is about um, 2000, uh, 2002, 2003, somewhere in there. Um, my birthday is at the end of September. Yeah. And Susan's like, what do you want to do for your birthday? I'm like, I want to go to Napa. And, and we're like, we've been to Napa five times this year already. Yeah. <laughs> 
it's it's you know it it um it's uh it, it's heaven for a farm kid yes because it's it at its core it's still farming yeah um but it's incredible wines beautiful food uh we were learning so much about wine and about uh, at that point in time we were just drinking from the fire hose and enjoying it yeah. to understand the wine side of things and i think for us when we looked at it susan's background is public relations totally. and communications mm-hmm. and and design yep. and my background was in marketing yeah. and so we never felt like we could be great winemakers but we thought we could put together a great winemaking team yeah and that our contribution could be to, to help tell the story yeah yeah and i mean i the wine is delicious, so that that also helps really well too. And and uh, it's a beautiful property, and we're here right now. It's kind of part of the property. Um, when if you take, so if you take all those experiences and you go from a corporate lifestyle, and uh, and obviously you're taking some of the corporate to the winery, but what are the things that you you know if you if you're looking at your, yourself that you took from the corporate lifestyle that you brought to the winery? Yeah, so I think the the biggest thing is the, the, I think a lot of people that, that get into the wine business, whether they get in it as an owner or they get in it as somebody who um, is an estate host who sells wine or even somebody who produces or makes wine, um, a lot of times people will do that. They'll make a they'll make a lifestyle choice that they're going to come here and live here and find a way to make a living, yeah. which kind of turns into selling wine. And we came from a very goal-oriented, achievement-oriented background, yeah. and so we we bring that to we bring that to what we do here. Yeah. Um, uh, Mandy Ackerman, our our brand manager who runs all the sales stuff for us, she 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 calls me the Viking Surfer. <laughs> and, <laughs> that's, a, that's a good name. And it's kind of like. Uh, we're going to have fun. This is going to be fun, but we're going to hit our number. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Just make sure you understand. Yeah. And so, you know, the, the, you kind of, you got to really, um, we all, we all do this. We all have an internal monologue that helps us get through our day. Yeah. And if you're not, if you're not performing at the level that allows you to be successful, yeah. you come up with all kinds of excuses in your, inside your own head as yeah. to why that has happened. Yeah. And um, what, what you have to do is, is you kind of, you just, you, you reverse engineer it. We want to be here. Yeah. Okay. Well, if we want to be here, what that means is we need this many appointments a week. We need this level of conversion on those appointments. We hope people will be excited enough to, to want to take an allocation. If they take an allocation and we treat them really well, yeah, they'll stay on for this many years. And so you build those steps and then you manage each of those steps. Um, you know, oh, we got a lot of appointments, but we're not getting sales. We're not talking to the right people. Yeah. We, we, need, we need somebody that can afford our wine, yeah, right? Exactly. And so, uh, so, okay, and so you just kind of manage each of those pieces and you do it and this is this carried over from Best Buy. Yeah. It's the greatest job in the world. We sell TVs and stereos. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Like, like yeah. you're going to go home happy. Like, yeah. You know, like something awesome is going to come through the door if, when you come back from Best Buy. Yeah. And it's going to make your life better, more fun. Yeah. Right? And so uh, in the same token here, uh, we live in paradise. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's It's gorgeous. And so what, you know, what we're really asking people to do is to uh, showcase the wines and connect with the people who are who are coming here. Totally. And um, you know, people come here to relax, and so they they you know they they, they come and they they leave all the stresses behind, yeah. and they get that aha moment, like oh my wife loves me, this is really nice. Like, yeah. I can you know she's smiling, what a great day. You yeah. Know? And so you want them to connect with that, connect with the winery, and and then allow them to have that experience when they go home when they open a bottle of the wine. Yeah. Like the greatest gift of owning a winery is I get text messages and, and, and Facebook posts and Instagram posts, people opening our wine when they get family around the table. They don't, nobody opens great wine for somebody they don't like. Exactly. Right? You exactly. open it for people that you love. Yeah. And so that's, the, that's really the greatest treat of owning a winery is seeing those photos. I want to get to family in a second, but one of the things that I, I noticed that would happen to you um, within the winery is that because generally some of the people who are, who are coming who are, who are coming to the winery often are successful or have the means to to buy the wine 
one of the things that I think happens a lot is that you get the question once they find out that you worked at Best Buy, how did you do it? <laughs> and, 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 and not even just how did you do it, it's more in the sense of, because and people ask, I mean, I think people ask me this of like, how, how did you start your own business? How did you get the courage to do that? How did you, because it is, it is a leap, a little bit of a leap, you know, right. from somebody who doesn't know you, right. you know, like to kind of make that pivot. So how did, why did you make that decision, um, you know, for family or w whatever that was? And then how did you make that decision? So, um, you know, this happens all the time in, in, a, in a corporate world. Um, the, the, corporate ha the corporation has to decide a, a fork in the road. Are you going to go left or are you going to go right? Yep. Best Buy reached a fork in the road where it had 70% of the DVD business in the United States was done by Best Buy. We sold 70% of the DVDs mm -hmm. because we had a whole deep catalog of all the movies, whereas Target and Walmart only had the top 20. Yeah. And we had 50% of all the music and we had like 70% of like back catalog, Led Zeppelin, Fleetwood Mac, yeah. whatever, whatever deep catalog stuff that that's not in Target or Walmart. Yeah. We, we just dominated. Yeah. So there was a moment where the company had to decide whether it was going to pursue a future of trying to um, be your smart friend. And, and as, as those things went from uh, physical goods of CDs and DVDs to, to digital. Yeah. Uh, did we want to play a role in helping people collect and catalog those things? Yep. And, or do we stay focused, laser focused on being a great retailer so that we can compete with and ultimately get the, the better of Circuit City and take their market share? Yep. Um, and so the company came to a fork in the road and it decided it was going to focus on uh, taking market share from Circuit under traditional retail yeah. and not focus on this other path. And Susan and I were very much aligned with this, uh, this other path. And it really it gets to a point where if you're leading a large number of people and you don't believe in the central mission, yeah. you can't, you can't lead with sincerity yep. and you got to go do something else. Yeah. And so we needed to go do something else. And, um, Best Buy cast such a long shadow that, that most people just do something else in the ecosystem. They yep. start a rep company or they import, you know, um, stuff from China that yep. sell at a Best Buy, then you're still you're still in the ecosystem. Exactly. You're kinda of using the same uh same, you know, clout that you've gotten from working at right. Best Buy and use that same experience to do something within that. We we wanted something we wanted something significantly different. And um and we'd fallen in love with Napa. Yeah. And and I think the thing is is that if you come if you come to Napa, particularly twenty years ago, you come to Napa and you've got an eye for design like Susan does yeah you've got an eye for marketing and storytelling and 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 you know there there were wineries out here that we admired their wines that, yeah that you know I, I always use the example this is a fictitious winery but it's a great example yeah. you know oh this wine's delicious what's it called Green Creek winery why is it called that because we're next to Green Creek <laughs> what's that on the bottle it's a picture of Green Creek <laughs> it's like, Fabulous. Okay. <laughs> like, wow, that's very deep. Right, right. And so now you've got nothing. There's no story there, right? Yeah. So you know, for us, Fantesca is this female character that was in the Cirque du Soleil precursor plays called yeah. Comedia dell'arte, and she was described as sexy, smart, and unpretentious. Yeah. And so that's the brand. Yeah. And so now all of a sudden that's the story, and it, you don't have to be very observant to realize sexy, smart, and unpretentious applies to my wife. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, and and so you can kind of tell that story, and people can write themselves into that story. Yeah. And so you can share that. Yeah. And when you can share something beyond just the the wine, we've all had the experience. You go to dinner, you have a great bottle of wine, yeah. and by the time you get to the car, you can't remember the name of it. Yes. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so thank God now we've got phones, so we can take a photo of it. But but. Um, if, if you have that experience where you loved a wine and can't remember the name of it, th they didn't do a very good job of sharing with you how that wine came to be. Totally, totally interesting. So um, I talked about you're on the board for XPRIZE, the uh, innovation board. Um, I also know that you guys are, you're very interested in some the future of medicine and healthcare. Um, you do a lot of charity work. And one thing I, I, I saw once, once you're, um, how old are your kids now? 28 and almost 30. So Taylor and then Chelsea. Um, so 
it was interesting. I saw a shift when, and since we've been training for long, I, I've known them when they were in high school. <laughs> so I've seen a, 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 I saw a shift in you where almost like, almost once they got out of college, you're like, okay, the, the lens is open, you know, um, now like that, it, it was kind of the Chris Rock, you know, I'm not even going to say the joke, but you know, you keep, you keep certain people <laughs> from doing certain things, not the right way. Your kids, you know, they went to great, uh, great schools and, and, you know, have their own careers and Chelsea is, you know, a budding winemaker herself and she has a great brand, uh, Fearless. So what, what shifted and opened your, your lens up to be even more in the, the foundation mode, um, the XPRIZE mode, and, and the future of medicine, healthcare? What kind of got you there? You know, you, you tapped into the headwaters of it. There's um, one of the things that, one of the things that um, as, as Best Buy did, you know, very well um, financially, we did well financially with it. And, and you, 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 you don't want that to, to ruin your kids or demotivate your kids. Totally. And so, you know, we, we tried very hard to teach the kids that money is a tool. Yeah. And money's a tool that allows you to, to um, create the kind of life you want to have in terms of what you do. You're not, you're not defined by what you have. You're defined by what you do. Yeah. And uh, I love the quote. There's a, the, the Rothschild family is a very successful family, had very little problems with, people that just run off and want to live off their trust fund. Yeah. And the Rothschilds have a saying. They, they say, uh, we have enough money, you can do anything you want. We just don't have enough money that you, don't, you, you can do nothing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Susan and I are really proud that our kids are really um, actively engaged in their, um, in their careers. They're actively engaged with um, their relationships. Um, they're just really solid, good people. Yeah. And, uh, that's probably the thing I'm most proud of in my life. Yeah. So, uh, really great to see. But yeah. when, but there's, you're right. You, you know, they, they're in college and they're doing the college experience. They're never, you know, they're doing great. So they're not coming home. Yeah. They're having too much fun on weekends to, yeah. to make it back to the house. And so all of a sudden, more time, more energy kind of opened up for for Susan and I. And part of that we channeled into fitness yeah. and doing more with fitness. Um, but we also wanted to kind of do some more things with philanthropy. And um, it was actually Taylor um, got an internship. Uh, uh, he, he loves space and, and aerospace. Yeah. And so uh, Taylor, in his passion, got an uh, internship with uh, a company called Planetary Resources. There was a bunch, a bunch of jet propulsion laboratory guys that were looking at what, what would it actually take to be able to mine asteroids. Yeah. And so, you know, it, it was kind of a hypothetical, but he went and contributed to that. And that introduced us to some of these people that are kind of in this X Prize space. And it's kind of, and it's, an, it's about having an abundance mentality. Yeah. Um, the news tries to, tr to trick you to watch more news. And yes. the way they get you to watch more news is by picking on the part of your brain that deals with fear and anger Yes. And, and so they want a perpetual conflict. Yeah. They don't want to, hey, guys, today was a good day. Everything kind of, some, some good things happened. They don't want, that's not how the news goes. It's like, oh, my God, this is going to happen. And yeah. We're, so they try and scare you. And what's interesting is that if you have an abundance mentality, if you look around, we've actually reduced wars in the last 20 years. We've completely transformed the con con uh, continent of Africa yeah. in terms of, uh, uh, you know, average poverty level, uh, subsistence yeah. poverty level. Um, and birth rates have diminished tremendously in Africa because there's more access to, to health care. There's more access to, um, um, to birth control. Totally. And so, so um, the, the, the tale of the last 20, 30 years in the world has been dramatically improve, dramatic improvements. And then you turn and you look at something like technology, like, like cell phones yeah. and, and, and like having the Internet in the palm of your hand. Unbelievable accomplishments. And we don't focus on that. So XPRIZE thinks in that way, but not only do they think about that way about the past, they think about that way for the future. Yeah. So uh, that's what really kind of attracted us. And one of the things, we, we've looked at different things within XPRIZE. They've, they've been great to expose us to a lot of different um, things like uh, you think about the future with artificial intelligence, you think about it with cars. I'll give you a real quick example yeah. of, of the way to think about this. Um, when cars 
drive autonomously. You don't need to be, you don't need to have your hand on the wheel to drive the car. The car just drives itself. What's kind of fascinating is that at that moment, uh, you'll get in the car, you'll do something else while the car takes you to where you want to be. Once the car drops you off, you're not going to need 10,000 parking spots in downtown San Francisco. That car can go out 15 minutes out to a suburb, park there, and then come get you when you need it. In fact, it doesn't even have to be the same car. Exactly. It could be a service that picks you up. Yeah. So the nearest one picks you up, not the one that's 20 miles away. Totally. And so when when that happens, it's going to change it's going to change the way we drive, it's going to change the way we plan cities. Yeah. It's going to change all these things. And so there's there's a, a tremendous um, advantage to being aware of those changes and thinking, you know, 20 totally. years down the road in terms of how that landscape changes. One of those landscapes that we looked at was regenerative medicine. And so regenerative medicine is the medicine of can you, your body has epigenetic switches. So, so um, you're, you're, you're having mutations in your system that, that would cause cancer yep. when you're in your 20s, your 30s, your 40s, your 50s, your 60s. And then all of a sudden, your body doesn't have the ability to fight that off anymore. Yeah. And, so, and an epigenetic switch happens, and now all of a sudden you're susceptible to cancer. There's ways of actually changing or, or, or resetting that switch so that you, you don't get cancer. Yeah. Um, there's ways of uh, setting that switch so that your knee will regrow cartilage and you won't have osteoarthritis. Um, traditional medicine is, um, cancer medicine, yeah. is oncology medicine is basically, let's the, the, the cancer cells are susceptible. So if we stress the entire system, yes. we'll kill the cancer cells, and then you can recover. That's basically the... Yeah. It, meanwhile, you're going to put all those drugs through your liver, through your kidneys. So it's very toxic. So there's a very complicated, long process to get through that. Um, the, the epigenetic switches, the things that you can do in regenerative medicine, whether it's stem cells or the what they're actually finding is the secretion of stem cells are called exosomes. Those are what signal your body to do its own anti-inflammation and its own repair. So there's things like that that are are at the cutting edge of of medicine that are going to transform our lives. And what what they do is they're going to increase not our lifespan, but our health span. So uh, I I think, you know, nobody wants to live to 100 if it's 20 years of being bedridden with dementia. Totally. You know, I don't want that. You don't want that. What what I want is I want to have a hundred years of health and yeah. then and then a very rapid decline. Yeah. Uh, or get trampled by elephants in Africa while I'm <laughs> <laughs> so you know something something epic like yeah. that. Um, but at a hundred years. Yeah. Right. And so that's kind of the goal of regenerative medicine. Isn't so much that we want you to live to a hundred. It's that we want your 80s and 90s to be incredibly um, healthful and and allow you to do the things that uh, you want to do. Yeah, it's. I mean, we've we've talked about it, and even um, I'm interested, definitely, in learning more about it. Uh, and when we have those conversations, because I'm also look trying to look in the in the future of what, where training is going, and where's healthcare going, and where's uh, um, fitness is go- can get to, um, and just you know, just be a little, just a little edge of the curve, a little head of it. If you got just a little bit of a head start on it, it uh, right. to wrap your head around it. I think, like you're saying, like if you know that cars are going to get to this place, it does help you think about, okay, what else will that change? If, if you're if you're 55 and your mental model is, I'm going to get to 65 and retire, and I'm going to sit on a chair. Yeah, man, I got news for you. I mean, if you you know if you don't work out and you don't eat right, yeah, that that's what's going to be there for you. Yeah, if you you know if you if you exercise, if you eat right, if you educate yourself about things you can do to improve your body, if you think about your, think about this. I, you know, my, I use my own parents as an example. My yeah. my father knows more about how a furnace works than he does about his own body. Yeah, he expects his body to take care of him. Yeah. And so if you put in the work to understand um, what's available to help you, whether that's massage or yoga yeah. or working out or, uh, or, or even supplements that might help you, um, that, you, know, you can have a much more active uh, fourth chapter of your life. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Wow. Um, 
Is there anything you want to add? Any, any questions? This has been really, really awesome kind of going through, kind of getting through some of the stages, even getting some more details and stories I probably didn't, I didn't know the, at the edge to. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, the, the biggest thing I would want to do is just to, to you is to say thank you. Uh, you know, you've, you've made a lot of sacrifices to, to do this, and uh, my family's gotten extraordinary benefit from it. And, um, you know, I know you've covered this with Susan, but, you know, uh, Susan's journey uh, into uh, lightweight bodybuilding, um, you had to learn with her. You yeah. Had, and you kind of went with her on that. And so you've been incredibly um, helpful and supportive and, and uh, you know, we, we've become friends and you guys have become a big part of our family. So, yes, yeah, it's, it's been, you know, I think that, that one of the um, beautiful things and I think you kind of you get some of this um, probably even more from the winery perspective is that you get to really know people and you get to connect and and you also find that uh, we both learn as, as you become friends that how you can positively affect each other. So even information that you give me, we'll talk politics and we'll often get a different perspective, which is, is always um, great because uh, I love that aspect of learning. Actually, one, we'll end on this. Um, something that I, th I, I think is interesting um, that you guys do, and now I'm kind of thinking of, uh, we're kind of doing a little bit of the same thing, is, um, don't wanna make it too political, but one of the things that you guys do as a family is you sit down and you vote together. And so this past um, uh, election in, in November uh, in 2020, uh, you guys sat down like you normally do, and you also involved, uh, now you had a spouse, uh, Todd, uh, Chelsea's husband, and then you also had Taylor and his girlfriend, um, what's his girlfriend? Janez. Janez, and, and Janez's mom. And Janez's mom. And Janez's mom uh, is uh, lives in L.A.? or that, Lives uh, in L.A. now, grew up in Baltimore. Yeah, and so she grew, grew up in the inner city, um, and and so... Tell me where where did that come from, and what what's interesting when you get when you guys all sit to, to get down together and do that. So at some point, if you, if you're take it seriously, you have to sit down and you have to understand what each of the propositions are yeah. and kind of what what they all entail. And um, uh, the, the, Susan and Chelsea care about that, but they they're not they're not. They're not political junkies. They're yeah. not into it every day. Yeah. Um, but they want to understand. They want to understand the issues at a thorough enough level to have an informed decision, an informed opinion when they vote on them. So what we do is we sit down as a family, and we discuss what the propositions are, what they what they mean, um, what what does the Democratic Party say is the good things or the bad things about this one. Not so much the Republican Party, but more the Libertarian Party. What do yeah. they think about it and and say? And then we we kind of go from there. Yeah. And then uh, you know I'm I'm a I'm a uh, you know uh, more freedom less government yeah. kind of guy. Yeah. And so um, yeah, I dislike most propositions. <laughs> <laughs> but but because they're usually what new rules should we pass? Yeah, and exactly. It's, it's hardly ever about the new rule. It's more about you know letting the market dictate what should happen totally, totally. so we had a great we had a great experience this year because i we're, we're kind of working through these and um uh you know taylor's girlfriend and her mom are on the phone with us and we get to rent control yeah and i think rent control is a terrible idea because it dis it disincentivizes people from building new housing yeah so if you have more housing the market will naturally bring prices down when you rent control you take away the incentive to build new housing and you don't get you don't get enough housing. Exactly. San Francisco's put themselves in that position. And so I very cavalierly, you know, we, we this is like proposition nineteen. Yeah. So we get to nineteen, we've been doing this for a while. Yeah. And I kind of just casually blurted it out, well anyone who's ever had an economics course knows how to vote on this. Yeah. And uh Janez's mom was like, Well, I actually live in a rent controlled house and it's the only way I can afford my home. Yeah. Okay, well now there's a this is a vastly different perspective totally. on these two topics. And you know, she shared a little bit about kind of her life and yeah. what and and how um, rent control is a positive thing in her, in her life. Yeah. And and then she listened to me talk about how fr from a system-wide standpoint it, it can have a negative impact. And I I came away with a more complete understanding of the issue. 
Yeah. And so, and that's all we're trying to accomplish with that. And exactly. We don't tell, uh, we, it would go very poorly for me if I tried to tell my wife or my daughter how to vote. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So it's really about just sharing information and, and, um, and then getting a better, a better dialogue and then a better understanding of the issue when you do vote. And it's actually what I'm very hopeful for for the country because this, you know, you're an idiot, you're a racist, th this is not helping. Yeah. This is not helping. No, no. And I think that's what, that was the beauty of it is that you, um, and that's the discussions that we have is like I can get, get those discussions with you when, you know, different things happen uh, within the country. And uh, I think that's, that's the beauty of, you know, connecting through wine, connecting through fitness. So I want to thank you again for joining me. Uh, it was a lot of fun. And uh, we'll, we'll see you next time. Bye.